That was fun to do. That was Jay Strother, pastor at the church at Station Hill, and Aaron Bryant, pastor at the church at Avenue South, Wade um, Owens, uh, pastor at the church at Nolensville, and then me. We were the responders to that call, and that uh, was fun to do. I, I, I messed up and told the kids I would be watching. I was supposed to keep that a secret, but I think they did a good, pretty good job of playing it off. This morning, Oksana texted me, uh, us, our staff, at about, it was really, really early when the uh, power went out in here, in the whole church, for a while. And so that's why it's hot in here. The air conditioner is catching up. I'm so sorry. But we will uh, push through, and I'll try to be quick, but... Not real quick, because Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10, has much to offer us this morning as we look at, a faith, as we look at Abraham and a faith that looks forward. A faith that looks forward. Faith is the perception that the way of Jesus is the way to become who we most truly are. Creatures made in the image of God. That was the testimony of Reagan and such a beautiful one this morning. It was Keith's as well, and although he admittedly took a circuitous route, as many of us do, um, I pray that's our testimony as well this morning, that we stand together worshiping God, who we are made in the image of, and we look forward to all that God has in store for us as God's children. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 8 through 10. Our text this morning reads, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city, the city that has foundations, whose architect and whose builder is God. May God add God's blessing to the reading of his word. As Keith shared his testimony with me this week, and as I prayed for him and anticipated you hearing his testimony, I was struck by the similarities in his story um, and in Abraham's story in this sense. That day that he decided to stop by church, and I believe it was a Friday, and I happened to be here. I believe God whispered to him, just go and see. It's a pretty good way to describe what God asked of Abraham. Go and see. Not see and then go, but go and see. If we look back at Genesis chapter 12, where the story of Abraham is told, in the Bible, we look at verses 1 through 3, and we see, we see this. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So for Abraham, there was no trip advisor, there was no Google Earth, there was no picture of where to go or what it would look like when you get there, no Rick Steves to describe what to expect. There was just faith, faith that is the conviction of what it cannot 
see, look back at verse 8 in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. And he set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. It reminds me of Thomas. We went through John all through the book of John earlier this year. It reminds me of Thomas saying, Lord, how do we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. Well, in Abraham, we see the faith that Thomas could have used some of in that moment. He did not know where he was going. The the text teaches that Abraham responded to this call and did so immediately. He he really didn't know where he was going, y'all. He had to expect God's promises by faith. By faith. It was five years ago this month. I've told you often about my small group of guys that I've met with for about a decade now. It was five years ago this month that we went to visit one of our guys who went, who moved up to Long Island for three years with his family, and we still continued to meet. And he met with us for that entire three years over FaceTime when we met. It was pretty remarkable that we stuck it out. I'm so grateful for that. And we went and visited him one time. We flew up to Long Island to see each other and play some golf. It was really, really fun. What wasn't fun was that Lewis, uh, broke his, uh, Lewis broke Leslie Ann's hand while I was in the plane going to New York. So that was great. I think he pulled a, a blanket, is that right? And your, and your hand uh, broke. So that was bad for me to be gone for four days uh, with Leslie Ann with one hand. That was a bummer. I didn't come home. I mean, I did. I didn't come home early. Maybe I should have. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> While we were there, we, we liked to play golf, and we, we played golf on a U.S. Open golf course that staged the U.S. Open twice in, this, in the last 20 years, 02 and 09, Bethpage State Park. And it was such a treat to get to play there. And in order to play there, our situation was we had to spend the night in Beth Page State Park uh, in a tent (laughs) the night before because the attendant would come by all those who were in the parking lot already and give them a number at 4 a.m. And so we had to be there sitting in our cars at 4 a.m. So we spent the night uh, in a tent in the park. And when I tell you it was terrible, I mean, it was terrible. I slept none. I don't know why so many cars were coming in and out all night long in Bethpage Park, but that's the way it was. We got our ticket and we were the first group off the course and it was a really great day. And I'm sure I took a nap that afternoon. Abraham lived in a tent for a long, long time, not just one night. Abraham showed incredible patience in his life. Abraham showed an incredible amount of unwavering faith in God uh, making good on God's promises. The call on our lives, guys, it will lead to difficulty. And our series suggests we're not superheroes, they're ordinary heroes. It requires a great deal of faith, and we can, we can relate to that. You're, ordin- you're good folks, but we're ordinary folks as well. And we should, uh, that's a good thing. We can't avoid the difficulty that life gives us. Abraham stayed for a long time in the land that he was promised, a stranger in the land, a sojourner, perhaps your Bible 
indicates. And what really is remarkable is that Abraham was living in a land that was only promised to him and his family. His nomadic lifestyle was by choice. It was by faith. Do you know that when Sarah, Abraham's wife, died, Abraham bought a plot of land, a small plot of land in the area of the world where God had promised Abraham's descendants to come from, the land promised to Abraham. They had not been given that yet when Sarah died. But Abraham, by faith, bought the land because you bury your family on your family's land. So in anticipation of God making good on God's promises, Abraham, with foresight, bought land to bury his wife, Sarah. This quote by N.T. Wright is a long one, but it's a great one, I believe, and I want to share it with you to describe what was going on in Abraham's heart and mind. It says, faith is not a general religious attitude to life. The faith talked about in Hebrews is the faith which hears and believes the promise of God, the assured word from the world's creator that he is also the world's redeemer. And that through the strange fortunes of Abraham's family, that God is working to build the city which is to come. So Abraham was called to this and he set out immediately. He set out with great patience and he endured great difficulty in waiting for what God has promised. And so as we slip ourselves into Abraham's sandals and imagine what we are called to, which I think is an important exercise for us to do, I ask you to do that this morning. What is our faith that looks forward? What does it look like? What should it look like? What do we look forward to? Well, Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite pastors and theologians who had passed away a few years ago, late in his life, he wrote wrote about sectarianism. And he wrote about sectarianism being a problem, a, a, a particular problem in Christian community. And what it means is that we as as people who are trying to be patient, who are trying to hold on to our faith, we are constantly pulled uh, to something smaller, to narrow our borders, Peterson argued, on our groups, to build new walls. Um, and among other factors, this, this has to do with our need to control things. Back in Genesis 12, 3 that we just read, God's clear intent at the outset of Abraham's story, at the outset of God's people becoming God's people, is that all families on earth shall be blessed. All families on earth shall be blessed. Now, I'll call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is Paul addressing the church in Corinth, his friends there, and, and by extension, the church at large, even to this day. He says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. That's the same word used in Hebrews 11, one year, that faith is the conviction of things not yet seen. For it has been reported to me about you by my sisters, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there's rivalry among you. And what I'm saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? 
Ethicist and theologian David Gushy says, well, he said recently, there are a whole lot of different types of Christians coming from different cultural perspectives in the world. Southern U.S. Protestants is one of them. And that's many of us if you live here. But that's just one of them. Sectarianism is the removal of a part from the whole. And apart from the whole, the part is out of place. It's unable to be what it is designed to be. The part is good, but it's not able to be its best. Our coffee maker at home, I love it. First thing I do every morning. Um, I might drink too much coffee. Leslie Ann and I had this talk this week, so I'm praying about that, but I don't really want to back off. And our, our carafe, is that what you call it? That's probably what it's called. It's glass, and it doesn't keep the coffee warm at all if it's apart from the coffee maker. But there's a warming plate, and it works quite well, and it keeps it warm all morning as we get our day started. You get what I'm saying? Apart from the machine, it doesn't do what it needs to do. Back in Hebrews 11, verse 10, our text says that Abraham looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and whose builder is God. God was the planner of each of the parts, the creator, as well as the one who integrates all of the parts into the whole. And the thing is, each part is important. Each of them, sectarianism leads us to believe that we don't need certain others. Search your heart, folks. Ask yourself if this describes us. It describes me far too often. Two chapters later, 12 chapters later, 1 Corinthians 12. Paul goes to great lengths to talk about the parts of the body as a whole, making up the whole body. And each part is integral to the, to the body working together. And he uses this as a metaphor for the church. He says the eye can't feel like it's better than another part of the body. Think about it. When you stump your toe, do you get excited and rejoice over which part of the body's not hurting like your toe is right now? No, it's crazy. It hurts the whole body. The same is true for the church. With the call of Abraham, the long, the slow, the complex, and still continuing movement to pull themselves into the people of God community that they were called to be as Israelites. It began. God's desire through Abraham was to bless all the peoples of the earth so that they, we would in turn be a blessing. That is actually the strategy. And the impulse to break into sectarian groups is strong in the branches of the church because it provides such a convenient appearance of community without the difficulty of loving people we don't approve of, of letting Jesus pray us into relationship with the very women and men we have invested a great deal of time and energy avoiding. It wasn't lost on Keith holding out his arms, asking if he would be accepted here. And not just here. There are people all over our city, all over our world. Perhaps they know deep in their soul that they need Jesus, whether it's to get back on track or for the first time to pour themselves into something that matters. That is all that matters. What if the only thing keeping them from Christ 
is that they don't believe they'll be accepted. This is important because from Abraham, we must not fail to see that he was not interested in things being quick and easy. He lived as a stranger in his own land well before it was officially inherited. He had to dig in and believe that God would make good on God's promises. Instead of just getting rid of what doesn't suit us in our community, what doesn't please us, the ones who are difficult to love, which is oftentimes us, we've got to lean into what God is doing and has been doing since the day God called Abraham, bringing together a people, all people, to bless in order to be a blessing to others. Today is June 19th. On this day in 1865, although the Emancipation Proclamation had been issued two years earlier, it wasn't until today, in 1865, two months after the Civil War ended, that all those enslaved in Texas learned they were free. The day became known as Juneteenth, which became a legal state holiday in 1980. There's a girl named Ellie who lives in Charleston, South Carolina. She is a young professional living about two blocks from Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. It was seven years ago this week that a young man attended a Bible study there at that church and killed nine people who were there for Wednesday night Bible study much like what happened at a potluck in Birmingham just four days ago. And after this tragedy, Ellie spent much uh, time, uh, much of Thursday, on the phone with her parents. She said, I don't know what to do, but I feel like I have to do something. She was reflecting on the fact that she was one of the few white residents in this neighborhood, and she could feel the collective pain of her neighbors. And And she likely felt some of the dissonance that came with being a new white resident in a gentrifying African-American neighborhood. What could she possibly say from that position? And later that afternoon, she spoke with her mother and she said, I don't know what to do. Talking to her mother again. And her mother said, well, it's important that you do something, Ellie. You can't do nothing. If you do nothing, it sends the message that you're unaffected and that you think somehow none of this None of what has happened applies to you. So Ellie worked up her courage and she got off of her couch and not knowing exactly what to do, she walked out of her front door and she walked across the street and she walked to a house across the street and she walked up on the porch and she knocked on the front door and an elderly African-American woman came to the door and Ellie said, hi, we've not met, but I'm your neighbor from across the street and I feel like I needed to come, felt like I needed to come and knock on your door. And I don't really know what to do, but I'm hurting. And I imagine you must be hurting. And I wanted to say, I'm sorry. And the older woman said, thank you. And embraced Ellie right there on the stoop. And there they sat for about an hour with lemonade. And they talked. And they blessed each other. The promise of blessing is what God promised Abraham. It is, and you and me through Abraham, 
and others through us. It's fascinating to think about and it is necessary to cling to. We can understand it as meaning where we're going when we die. And there's, there's certainly a heavenly element to our text here in Hebrews 11 and to the text in Genesis 12 that we will be with God forever, certainly. But I choose to believe and I pray that you will glean through my teaching, through our teaching in this church, that we will also see our life with God, the decision that Reagan stood before us today and demonstrated through her baptism, the decision that Keith talked about in his testimony, the decision, the, 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 the life with God that you and I represent every day of our lives as we go through life together in community here, that we will understand and live out that eternity is as much about today as it is that day, and that God is yearning to use us to show glimpses of his glory in a world that is desperate for it. And I believe that is what Ellie did that day in walking across the street, that God is bigger and can love everyone through the church, especially those who feel different, who might feel left out when we, when we set aside the lust for material things and embrace more so a life of wilderness living, which is exactly what Abraham and his people embraced. This can be the case. Perhaps our call is not necessarily to go somewhere physically to those other cultures in the world. It might be. It certainly might be. Perhaps it is more, though, just to go across the street across the town, students across the lunchroom, adults across the workspace. There is nobody you have or will ever meet, have met or will ever meet, whom God does not love. That's the story of Abraham. That's why Abraham's faith mattered so much and why it continues to matter today. Let me close by reading this prayer by St. Francis, and then I will pray for us. St. Francis wrote, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where is, there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Let's pray.